You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Well, welcome to Cyprus and downtown and Siena and also the Loop and those online and on campus as well. If you got your Bible, we're going to be in a lot of different places today. We're going to do a little bit of an overview, but the first place we're going to start is going to be 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you want to join me there, we have taken this entire year and we basically looked at two just amazing characters in the Scripture. Complex characters, no doubt about it. Interesting characters, no doubt about it. We've looked at David the first semester in the fall, and then we looked at Solomon the second semester in the spring. And in looking at those two men, we've hopefully gained a lot of information. We've seen a lot of things. And so what I want to do over the next two weeks, so this week and next week, to be able to look at David this week is give us an overview of David, and then next week give us an overview of Solomon. Now, there's no way in 30 minutes I can give a just overview, so if you think, I want more, that's great. I did an entire semester on David, an entire semester on Solomon, but I want to give us just a beginning thoughts or an overview kind of thought on David, and then next week on Solomon, and then after that, I'll start my sabbatical time, that I'll be away for about a month, and I told the Loop camp campus uh, earlier in the service, uh, that we will go with the choir and orchestra to Rome, and we're going to do the book of Romans next year, and so I'm going to study a little bit in Rome just for a few days, and then we'll come back and be in good old state of Texas for most of sabbatical, which would be great, but a choir and orchestra mission trip that then will turn into a little bit of study in Italy and touring of Italy a bit, and then right back here in Texas area for the rest of sabbatical, and then jump back in. So this week is on David, next week is on Solomon, and then I'll be with the choir and orchestra in Rome and begin sabbatical there, which will be a great thing. So be praying for us as the Loop Campus already did, and let's just be able to know that God's going to use the choir and orchestra and hopefully me as I preach there with them as well. But we're starting today with David, and here's a few things I want you to know about David. We focused in on him. I love that the Bible allows us to see characters like David and Solomon. They are complex characters. Now, here's what I mean by that. We see the highs in their life. We see the lows in their life. We see the sins in their life. We see the righteousness in their life. We see the wisdom in their life. We see the stupidity in their life. And the Bible's great about letting us see the, the all aspects of characters like them because they were real people that lived in a real time. And it allows us to be able to say, you know what? I've got some complexity in my life as well. I love that we see that Peter says things that he shouldn't. Why? Because you say things that you shouldn't. I say things that I shouldn't. Wouldn't it be discouraging to just have every biblical character was like, perfect, 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 perfect. You'd be like, well, where do I fit into this? Now, it doesn't justify anybody's sin. That's not what we're trying to do. But it does give us a viewpoint of looking at someone that God used in a great way and to realize that they're not perfect. So let me give you a few thoughts of who David was, just to remind you, more has been written about David than any other biblical character. 14 chapters about Abraham, 14 chapters about Joseph, Jacob got 11 chapters, Elijah got 10 chapters, David got 66 chapters, and 59 New Testament references. He also wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms. So David has got a lot of attention that happens. If you were to look even in Matthew chapter 1, you'll find that the lineage of Jesus, it says, and of the line of David. So he is a key, key person. 
David was Israel's most important king. His kingdom represented the high point of Israel's power and influence of that nation in the Old Testament history. Two books in the Old Testament are devoted to David's reign of 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. Earlier, his years are recorded in 1 Samuel, beginning in chapter 16. His family lived in Bethlehem, which is about six miles away from Jerusalem. And you know Bethlehem because Jesus was born there, right? So it's a key thing there. A couple other things. His great-grandmother was Ruth. Did you know that? Some of our ladies are studying in a weekly Bible study right now. Ruth, that's David's great-grandmother. He was an accomplished musician, an accomplished leader, an accomplished military commander, but he wasn't perfect. So what are three things that we can learn from the life of David to pull into our own hearts and our own lives? I'm going to teach you these three things. Now, here's what we're going to do. At each one of these three things, we're going to stop. And if you've been journeying with us all year long, you know we've done this. We're going to stop and we're going to have 60 seconds of silence that we're just going to pray and we're going to reflect. And we're going to say, Lord, let these three things be true in my life as well. Okay? So the first one is going to be found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 through 13. This is when David is anointed. He's chosen by Samuel. Here's what it says in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. This is Eliab who is a big, strong guy. And so this is a, 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 I love this verse because I'm short, you know, so this one just works for me uh, to be a great thing. So here we go. And tall people, God loves you too. But here we go. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. That's a sermon right there. Verse eight, Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. And the Lord hadn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shema, but Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse had presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of them. Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? He said, they're still the youngest, he answered. But right now he is tending sheep, and Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. He's going to be the king of Israel. So Samuel took the horn of of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and big part, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Now, I want you to get this point. Here's point number one we can learn from David. God can use anyone. God can use anyone. Did you see what it said there? It's Samuel going to Jesse, and Jesse's like, oh, I got a lie up here. You're going to love him. He's amazing. He's strong. He's big. He's a leader. He looks like a leader. He acts like a leader. He's strong and tall, and everything's there. And Samuel says, no, the Lord says, that's not the one. And then another one, nah, that's not the one, nah, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one. Why? Because God sees the heart, only man sees the exterior. And when God sees the heart, God's saying, I've got one that I'm looking for. And when I find that one, I'm aiming and I'm looking for the heart. And when I find that heart, I can teach the skill. But you give me the heart of a leader, I can put the skill around the leader. I can bless the leader with those things. And so David is used by God chosen by God. He's not even in the lineup. He's out in the field shepherding the sheep. What a great skill to learn to be a leader and a king of Israel, to learn to be a shepherd. 
Now, you and I, I, we've never even seen a shepherd before. I mean, do you know anybody that you graduated college with that is a shepherd now? Anybody? Nobody. You know, you know we don't know anybody that's a shepherd, right? They knew what a shepherd meant, and it means this leadership of leading people. See, a shepherd led people, a butcher drives people. So when you're going to drive the sheep to the butcher, you get the guy behind him going, come on, go, 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 go. When you get a shepherd leading them to green pastures, he's in the front and he's taking them. So we don't want to have leadership that's pushing and driving. We want leadership that's leading so we can follow. And so what does it say about the Lord? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me along quiet. He leads me in green pastures along still waters. And on it goes with Psalm 23. Private faithfulness precedes public impact. Private faithfulness precedes public impact. And so he is privately shepherding the sheep and there's public impact that will follow. Remember, David's going to slay a lion and a bear to protect the sheep before he's going to slay Goliath to protect Israel private faithfulness. So what do we need to learn from David? We need to learn that our life is about private faithfulness to the Lord. It's about walking with God. I've prayed this phrase. I've said this phrase. I want to live better than I preach. I want to live better than I preach. Hopefully I'll do a good job and you'll be interested and you'll take something away today. But I want to walk with God and I want to spend time with God and I want to have a heart for God. I'm still praying for people that I could share Christ with people. I'm not just asking, Lord, let me share with thousands. Let me share with one. There was a guy that I wrote his name down in my prayer journal. I was praying for him by name, asking God for me to get an opportunity to pray with him and to, to talk to him about the Lord. And sure enough, two weeks ago, he and I ended up together, just the two of us. And I said, you know what, let me ask you a question. Let me talk to you a little bit. Prayed with him, was able to give him our Capture the Moment devotional and just talk with him about the Lord. So God looks at the heart. Eliabs are everywhere. Davids are special. Eliabs are everywhere. Davids are special. Nobody noticed David but God. God knows where to find you. God knows where to find me. He understands who we are and what our heart really looks like. And you may think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not even a leader. I can't. How is God going to use me? Well, think of Moses. He was a fugitive from Pharaoh's justice. Think of Gideon. He was a coward. He was like, no, 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 I don't want to go. Think of David that we talked about here with an insignificant shepherd boy who's going to end up being the most significant king of all of Israel. Think of Peter, a simple fisherman with an impulsive personality. Think of Timothy that was young and sickly and weak, but yet God used them in a great way because he saw the heart, realized that God wants to use you. Now, here's the deal. When God uses you, it's going to take some time and energy. It's not going to be easy. I love this phrase from a, a, a commentator in my study that I found. It said this, God calls busy people, not people looking for ways to avoid responsibility. Think of Moses, think of Gideon, think of Elisha, think of Nehemiah, think of Amos, Andrew, James, John, Matthew. They were all busy when the Lord called them. God's pattern for leadership is stated in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you faithful over many things. I like to say it like this. God hits moving targets. 
you want to walk with God? Walk with God and then let God use you because he's looking for moving targets. He's looking for hearts that are passionate for him. And he's looking for those that are already going forward. So David is shepherding. He's faithful on the fields to shepherd. And as he's moving, God says, I want that one and I want to use him in a greater way. God can use you. God can use me. God wants to use you. God wants to use me. And let me tell you this, your greatest desire in life is to be used by your creator. That's your greatest desire. That's what you were made for, that you'd be used by him. And so you waken up and you're passionate when you see God doing something in your life. And it could be through your office. It could be through your home. It could be through your church. It could be through your neighborhood. It could be wherever. You don't have to do what I do. You don't have to preach like I preach. It doesn't matter. You just be who God created you to be and let God use you. And when he uses you, I tell you this, that will be the greatest joy in your life because your life will be about eternal impact. Well, I'm not really good at stuff. There's, who cares? What's your heart? Let your heart be what God leads. God wants to use you in your current role. Where has he placed you? How can he use you? Are you willing? It's not the time to grow weary in doing good. We need more people that follow the Lord. We need more people that are used by God. Our world, you know what it's like. It's hard. It's crazy. It's chaotic. We need more people that step forward. Don't grow weary in doing good. I know it's so hard. We see all the news. We see all these tragedies. We see all these scandals. And yet, God says, I want you to not grow weary in doing good. I want you to walk with me in a great way. So let's think of this prayerful application of this. How can we say, Lord, use me, use me where and show me where I'm unwilling. That's going to be our prayerful application. Lord, use me and show me where I'm unwilling. So here's what we're going to do. All campuses, Cyprus, downtown, Loop, online, we're going to have 60 seconds of silence. And we're going to pray over this one thing. We'll leave it on the bottom of the screen. That's your prayer from this point, Lord, Use me and show me where I'm unwilling. Now, this 60 seconds of silence is going to feel like 60 minutes of silence to some of you. But I promise you, 60 seconds. I'll close this in a word of prayer. We'll jump to our next point. Take this to the Lord, beginning now. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you desire to use your people. And David is a shepherd boy, used as a king and everywhere in between. Lord, would you use us? Show us where we're unwilling. Show us where we are willing and use us 
in a great way. In Jesus' name, amen. The second thing that we can learn from David is God can forgive anyone who repents of their sins. God can forgive anyone who repents of their sin. Now, I want to draw your attention to another famous place in the Scripture when we talk about David, and it's with David and Bathsheba. Do you remember that story? It happened in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that David began to to, to walk out onto his rooftop. He saw this beautiful woman of Bathsheba that was, was bathing there and he began to look at her and then he said, I want to call her. And so he called her to his palace and ended up that they had a night of passion that ended up in a lifetime of pain. David had been Uriah, Bathsheba's husband was killed, one of his key military men. He betrayed his own military because of his sin, and he had Uriah killed so that he could cover it up, but it still came to the light of the day because Isaiah, or excuse me, uh, Nathan came to him and spoke to him. I want you to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11. And David at this point, he thinks he's going to get away with this. But he's not. And in verse 11, it says this. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on you and your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes. And he will sleep with them in broad daylight. This actually happens later on. You acted in secret, but I will do this because before all Israel and in the broad daylight. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. So here we have the story of Nathan comes to him and he says, you're the man. And David repents of his sin. It says that he took it to the Lord and that he said, Lord, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you. Isn't it great to know that God can forgive our sins? He can forgive our sins. And these are terrible sins of murder and of adultery. Now, here's what I want you to kind of, I want you to feel this. How did David get into this situation? Let me tell you about David, who he was in this time period so that we can protect against sin in our own lives. First of all, the king should have been out with the military in that season. He was not in the right place. He should have gone with the military, but instead he stayed home. First place, you want to be in the right place. You want to be inside God's will, not inside your own will. Secondly, David, he was in his 50s at this time. We think of David as being this passionate youth that just thought about things. He's a middle-aged man, and even in those days where you would die a bit younger, he was an older man. But he had age can bore us. Let me give you this phrase. Age can bore us. Success can blind us. And indulgence can destroy us. Age can bore us. We've done everything. Success can blind us. I'm the king. I can get whatever I want. And indulgence can destroy us. David at this point is taking on more wives, but he's still not satisfied. And he wants one more. And so he takes the ewe lamb of Uriah. And here he's been on the throne for 20 plus years. And his terrible sin is going to receive, he's going to repent before a terrific Savior. And God's going to forgive him. Look, if you will, or you can just, just I'll read it to you and you can just kind of follow along. I want you to hear his prayer, his, a prayer of restoration. 
Be great. This is in Psalm one. This, excuse me. This is in Psalm fifty-one, verses one through five. Listen to this. David, after Nathan came to him, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash my guilt away and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you alone I have sinned, and I have done evil in your sight. You are right. When you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born, and I was sinful when I was conceived by my mother. And then it goes on the rest of the chapter of that. Terrible sins, but there's repentance that happens. What is repentance? Repentance is not just I got caught and I'm sorry for it. Repentance is before God where we realize I have sinned before God. Yes, before man. Yes, before women. Yes, before my family. Yes, and it's been destructive. No question about it. But I've sinned before God and we've lost the aspect of repentance in our life. We need to have repentance for our sin. So it's repentance individually that we repent. One commentator put it like this. It's literally a change of mind, not about individual plans, not about intentions or beliefs, but rather a change in one's attitude about God. Such repentance accompanies saving faith in Christ. It is inconsistent and unbelievable to suppose that anyone could believe in Christ and yet not repent. Repentance, it's a scary big word, and it is the most cleansing and refreshing word you could ever have. How do you come to Christ as Savior? You repent of your sins and you ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. You don't just add Christ to a little bit of something in your life. You repent and say, God, I am sorry. I have sinned before you and I repent of my sins. I turn away from them and I turn to you and I ask you to forgive me and I ask you to wash me clean. You also see in Revelation chapter two, verse five, that, he, that the, the Lord calls in the letter to Ephesus. He calls the church of Ephesus to repent corporately as a church. So there's times we repent corporately. On the National Day of Prayer, we repent as a nation. Lord, all the sin in our nation, we repent and we call out to you. And we say, God, forgive us and forgive and heal our land, Father, we turn to you. And our churches across America, or across our denomination, Lord, we repent And we turn to you and we say, God, would you restore us? And would you do great things in repentance, God, doing your work? So David didn't come and say, well, Nathan, you know what? I got all these wives. I mean, who cares about Bathsheba? It's just one more little thing. He says, oh, no, and I repent of these sins. Now, look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20. We were just in chapter 12, verse 11 through 14. I want you to look at 2 Samuel, verse 20. Here's what it says. Then David got up from the ground and he washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and went into the Lord's house and worshiped. Then he went home and requested something to eat. So they served him food and he ate. After repentance, there can be a new chapter in your life. Isn't that great? After repentance, there could be a new chapter in your life. Now, if you don't know Christ as Savior, the new chapter is called salvation. It's called a relationship with God. That's a wonderful, great thing. If you know Christ as Savior and you lay something down before the Lord, it can be walking in a fresh way in your marriage, in your life, in your workplace, in your heart. But you come to that place of repentance and you say, God, I want you to 
here that I know that, you, that I have sinned and I repent before you. And after the cross, what comes? The resurrection. And after David's repentance, what comes? He washes, he worships, he steps back up and he leads the people of Israel again. What a blessing that is to be able to have. I was leaving the church uh, Wednesday night. I had a, a meeting here at the church that, that went into the evening time and it was a great, wonderful meeting. No problem with it at all. I had to meet with our deacons and great men of God. And so I was leaving and I was backing out. And as I was backing out, I did what all good drivers should do. I checked my rear view mirror. I checked my side mirrors. I checked my, my uh, uh, passenger side mirror. And when I checked the passenger side mirror backing out, I went, wow. And I just stopped and I pulled out my phone, put it in park, and pulled out my phone, and I leaned over, and I took a picture of my rear view side mirror, passenger side mirror, and it was just a beautiful picture, but I didn't realize till later on what was all in the picture. Let me show you the picture. This is me backing out, sun setting to the west. And I was like, how beautiful, the cross at the Loop campus right there, just gorgeous. And then as I looked at the picture later on, I went, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. I want you to look at that picture. Don't, don't take it off just yet. Look at it. The cross, you see the cross. We're talking about forgiveness and repentance. And then I want you to hear that sentence. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. What a great theological statement. Now, I didn't take that because I thought I need an illustration this weekend. But it worked, and I'll take it, right? That's good. <laughs> the cross is closer than you know. The cross is closer than you know. Jesus is a breath away, and he's right there, and you can turn to him. And church is a great place to turn to Jesus. I'll do it later. Why would you do it later when you're sitting in the Lord's house right now? Turn to Jesus in repentance and allow him to forgive your sin. Now, let me turn it one more notch and then we're gonna pray. Think of the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our trespasses or our debts and forgive those who have trespassed against us. There's two aspects of this thing of forgiveness, isn't there? There's Lord, I need your forgiveness and there's Lord, I need to forgive someone else, right? Right? Now, this one's, well, we love that one, right? <laughs> but this one, we're like, I don't know if I want to forgive somebody else because they need to pay a little bit. And we've got to release them to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God can take care of them. He doesn't need you to be the Holy Spirit. He can take care of them. So for the Lord's Prayer to come together, we've got to receive the forgiveness, forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, and we've got to forgive others and forgive us those who have trespassed against us. And to forgive those that have hurt you and sinned against you and wounded you and whatever else you need to put in that, it may take years. But you just walk on that path each week, each day of being able to have that forgiveness. And then when you receive the forgiveness of Jesus and you forgive others in the name of Jesus, then you're gonna be able to walk in true freedom. But when we're bonded to our sin and we don't repent of the Lord of our personal sins and we're bonded to somebody else's sins that came against us, we live in bondage and we don't live in that freedom, do we? So we've got to forgive and we've got to forgive ourselves. So here's our prayerful application. Don't let your sin, parentheses, or anyone else's shipwreck your faith. 
Don't let your sin or anyone else's shipwreck your faith. I could tell you this, you're gonna be disappointed with people in your life and you're gonna be hurt by people in your life. And Christians are gonna hurt you and disappoint you. I've been in ministry 30 years. You think I haven't been hurt? You think I haven't been hurt by Christians having been in ministry 30 years? Or haven't been disappointed in 30 years of ministry? But let me tell you what, I'm not quitting my faith because somebody else's lack of faith. I'm gonna stand with the Lord, right? So don't quit your faith because somebody else doesn't have faith. Don't decide you're going to walk in sin because somebody else walked in sin. You walk with God. Micah chapter 7, verse 7. I've been reading the, the, uh, the minor prophets in my personal quiet time. If you'll just trust me for the sake of time, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 is just how bad the world is, how bad people are. And then it says this. It, even, it, gets, it gets so bad in verse 6. Surely a son considers his father a fool, a daughter opposes her mother. A daughter-in-law is against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Can you think of anything worse? You can't even trust the people in your own household is what he says. And then Micah says this, but I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Here's all the problems in the world. Joshua would say it like this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so to be able to don't let your faith get shipwrecked. People are going to disappoint you. There's sin everywhere. There's scandals. Yes, 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 yes. You walk with God. We need you more than ever to walk with God. If we all bail on the Lord and bail on the church, then what's the world going to look like? Can you imagine? Let's just shut the whole thing down. Let's shut down missions. Let's shut down Christianity. Let's shut down walking with Jesus. Let's shut down sharing our faith. Let's shut down prayer. Let's shut down everything and let's just all just throw it all in the trash heap and walk away. You want to see hell on earth, you watch the church get removed. What happens in the end times with the rapture is the people of God are removed and the Antichrist reigns and you end up with the tribulation. Let's don't have a pre-rapture rapture, okay? Where we just bail on the church as believers. We're the salt, we're the light. How deeply will the meat spoil without the salt that keeps it? How dark will the darkness be without the light of Christ through the church? So you don't let your faith, or excuse me, your sin or someone else's sin shipwreck your faith. You walk with God. I'm gonna walk with God. Let's walk with God. Let's be the church like we've never been the church before so that a bright light can be like a city set on a hill and shine the light. So our prayerful application is don't let your sin or anyone else's shipwreck your faith. The cross is closer than you could imagine. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have 60 seconds of silence and we're gonna pray about this that we've got on the screen right now, all campuses, online as well. And then at the end of our 60 seconds, I'm gonna begin the Lord's Prayer and I want all of you to pray it out loud with me. Okay, we'll put it on the screen if you're not sure, just so we'll know. We're going trespasses, not debtors. We're going art in heaven, not in heaven, okay? So we should be able to make it through here. 
But we're going to do, and when we get to that line, I want you to feel it. Forgive us our trespasses, repentance personally, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us, forgiving others as well. 60 seconds of silence for you to go to the Lord about repentance, beginning now. Jesus, we come to you in repentance. We acknowledge sin, both individually and corporately. It's wrong, it's evil, it's unrighteous, it's against you. And we repent. We thank you for the Savior of Jesus at the cross closer than we really realize. And with that kind of heart, Lord, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That just feel good to pray the Lord's Prayer. I've got two other amazing points, but I'm out of time today. So I'm gonna leave you wanting more because they're too good for me to just try to blow through real quick. We'll get them next week. But let's just sit on these two that we have here today. God can use anyone. We see that in the life of David. And God can forgive anyone. And we see that in the life of David. And the best thing is for us to not see this just in the life of David but to see it in your life and in my life. That he can use you and he can forgive you. Now, are you gonna be a king? No. Am I gonna be a king? No. Are we gonna be famous, so famous that they only know us by one name thousands of years later? No. But can we be who God wants us to be right where we are? I say yes. Because of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross to now live in your heart, having repented of your sins, the Holy Spirit now can move through you. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, 
and you've never trusted him, repent of your sins. And if you do know Christ as your Savior, not living the way that you want to be living, he wants you to live. Repent of your sins and let God use you in a great way. Give you this last little story illustration and we'll wrap up. I just finished my senior year of high school. My church, a leaf part of our city, Wilcrest Baptist Church, just a neighborhood church. We went on a mission trip to Montana and we got to Montana to this place called Gardner Baptist Church, just a small little church. We did vacation Bible schools and it was just the student ministry trying to help out up there. And one night, at the end of the time, we were all talking in this small little sanctuary that sat probably 50 people. And I've taken my family back to this exact spot. We were sitting there and I was sitting on the floor next to the left wall. And I felt like God was calling me to be in vocational ministry. And I said, no, I don't want to do it. I'm going to be a Christian businessman. I'm going to get my business degree at A&M. Was the next year was where I was going. We do all that. And God bless all Christian, Christian businessmen and women. You are in ministry. I'm not trying to make a JV and a varsity here at all. I'm just telling you my journey on my life. And I sat there in that little bitty church in Gardner, Montana, south edge of Yellowstone National Park. 50 people on a big day. And it's about nine at night. It's just our student ministry. And God said, I want you to be in vocational ministry. And I said, no, Lord, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do this. And he wouldn't let me move from that moment. He just wouldn't let my heart. To finally I said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Yes to whatever you want to do in my life. And I'm praying, God, that you would use me in college and that A&M would be known as a Christian university. Not that it is, I'm not trying to say that, but God's done a lot before the time that I leave. And I saw God birth something in me and I felt freedom on that night. And I sit here today with you because of a prayer as a 17 year old in Montana. God can do amazing things if we just let him have our hearts. And I'm not saying I'm doing amazing things. I'm just telling you my story of this passage of repenting of my sins and of saying, God, would you use me? Father, we are so grateful that you have not given up on us or the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, just for these two small things that we can learn from David. Two more to come next week. That we would take these to heart, God. And you would do something, Father, so special at every campus, at every home, in every life, God. That we couldn't explain it. May we just simply leave this Sunday with yes. Yes to you, God. Use us right where you've placed us.
Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.